Well, I am grateful to be with you. I am, I know Pastor Johnny is a professor of mine. I was a student at Northland Baptist Bible College, and so that's how we're connected initially. Uh, he continues to have a relationship with Matt Horn, whom you know, and he'll be up here a little bit later. Uh, but my, the lead pastor I'm partnered with was a peer of Pastor John's, also a professor at Northland at the time. And so that's uh, the connection. I'm kind of on a recruiting trip over to Emmaus looking for interns and residents, that kind of thing, and thought we would pop over and try to be an encouragement to, to John, get connected with him. And lo and behold, there's an opportunity to speak. And so I kind of liken this, if you've ever shown up to a, a family gathering, whether it's a family reunion or some family function during the holidays, and you meet some new extended family member for the first time, you've never met them, and you're like, who are you? How are you related? Well, this is the day. So I'm Giles, and I'm one of your brothers, and so I'm just thankful to be part of the family, and um, you know how we're related. It's the blood of Jesus, and so I'm just really thankful to be able to serve in this capacity and connect with you. Um, we have extended family all around the world. On a regular basis, actually weekly, we pray for the persecuted church in our fellowship, and that's to remind ourselves that it's not all about you know, us and our small little, you know, city and community and in our church, but God's doing things globally and the gospel's advancing. And so it's so encouraging to be able to be part of this fellowship here worshiping this morning. Just a little bit, I don't want to hijack the whole time. I want to jump into the word. And uh, so you can turn to 1 Corinthians 12 while I'm blathering, but just a little bit about me. Um, I wish my immediate family was with my wife Janelle and I have been married for 20 years. We have one son, his name's Elijah, he's 14. He was born with some major medical complications. If I'm ever invited back, um, I'll share more about that, but the, the short version of it, he was born without a diaphragm. And so you can imagine there's some major hiccups and, and hurdles that come with that. Um, we're still battling some of those things, but God in his grace and just his mercy to us, continues to just allow us to take one day at a time, and, um, and it's a joy. So the real privilege that I have in being with you this morning is to be able to open the text and care for you and share some, some truths from God's Word. And this morning, you're not going to hear anything you don't already know. So spoiler alert, there's nothing new that I'm going to share with you that you're going to be like, oh, that was amazing, an aha moment. It's going to be simple, straightforward, and we're going to stick to the text. And so that's just kind of what I do. The text is 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to do our best to cover it in its entirety. If you know anything about the church in Corinth and you've, you've been studying through um, 1 or 2 Corinthians at any point in time, how would we categorize this church? How would we describe this church? It's typically a church that, you know, becomes the black sheep among all the other churches, right? Um, certain churches are known for their personalities, and Corinth was a mess. And that's how we typically um, identify with Corinth. And so the cool thing about this, what I love about it, is Paul loves this group of misfits and pirates. He just does. In fact, he spent about a year and a half planting this church, and training the believers there to live out this new identity, this new faith in Christ. He's teaching them, now that you're saved, here's how you live like the church. 
And in Acts 18, just before the passage of Scripture that was read this morning, it explains a lot of what Paul's journey looked like in Corinth. One thing that Paul didn't do is stay part of the elder team and live in Corinth and become the pastor at the church in Corinth. And so what does he do? He invests in this church by way of letter. So they've got questions. As they're doing life and ministry in Corinth, and you know Paul was moving along to places like Ephesus and then back to Antioch and different places, he writes to them. And so he continues to invest in them with lengthy letters, and he's helping them understand the gospel and how they navigate life in the new way of the Spirit while they continue to live in their same pagan community and culture of Corinth. And so their circumstances didn't change, but they completely changed. They were transformed by the gospel, and yet they're still immersed in their old community, their old friends, their old workplace. They used to worship a certain way. Now their worship style has changed. And how do they navigate this? How do they work together? How do they care for one another? How do they love one another? How do they do life in this community when everything about them has changed from the inside out. It's a challenge. It's a struggle. So throughout his letters to Corinth, Paul's correcting just a smorgasbord of controversy, right? You know a little bit about this letter. Maybe you know a lot about this letter. But the selfishness within this local assembly at Corinth was challenging. And so the trailers to this reality TV series, if we were to be able to watch that, would include... Things like divisions, factions, and cliques within this family. There'd be relational tension, moral defilement, distraction from the gospel, demanding of personal rights, demeaning and destroying one another, doctrinal immaturity, and dysfunction of all kinds. The list could continue, and that's just the teaser. That's just the highlight reel to the church at Corinth. And so now we're in 1 Corinthians 12, Follow along with me, if you will, in verses 1 through 3. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So now this section starts with, now concerning spiritual gifts. And this is just one of of, a litany of topics that Paul's addressing. If we were to back up, it's in chapter 7, verse 1, that he starts answering questions that they have. And he says, okay, now concerning the matters that you wrote about. So Corinth sent a letter to Paul and says, "We've, we've got questions. And the church had questions. They had good questions. They had real questions, practical questions, questions that dealt with everyday life as a body of believers and living within a community that was immersed in paganism. And so they're writing about how, how do we do this thing, Paul? And so he's answering these questions. And one of the things that he's addressing is this idea, this topic of spiritual gifts. And so he says, okay, now about this topic, I'm writing to you. And he's really educating the church in Corinth to live like the church, not like pagans. And the contrast here in the first three verses is that when you were pagans, you were led by mute idols. Now that you are 
followers of Jesus, you're led by the Spirit. That's the contrast. This is who you used to follow and worship, and now you're following and worshiping Jesus. Life's going to look different. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There's going to be challenges, but life's going to look way different. They used to go to the pagan temples to worship, and we could go into detail on what that looked like. It was very immoral. It was very self-serving. It was all about them. And they worshiped these statues. And we know that behind the statue is demonic presence force. And he says, that's not your life anymore. Now you're in Christ. Now you're led by the Spirit. You're followers of Jesus. You're brothers and sisters. And now we're going to address, here's how you live like that. So this whole chapter, I'm entitling, you know, this message is The Anatomy of a Healthy Church. Here's what it looks like, and this is just one aspect, one layer of here's what it looks like to live like the church and to live like a healthy church. So the church in Corinth is now learning to unlearn paganism. Guess what? That's a process. It doesn't just happen overnight. I don't know your story, but if we were to take time and learn about when you came to faith in Christ what that looked like, or maybe you're a second or third generation Christian, what that looked like for your parents or grandparents to come to faith in Christ, those stories are going to be amazing triumphs, victories of God rescuing you out of, from something to himself. And guess what? Things don't change overnight. Sometimes they do. But we've got to be patient and gracious with one another. And one thing I've learned about grace over the years is that grace is always one-sided. We always want people to reciprocate But grace is one-sided, and this is a context where grace abounds. God has been gracious to us, condescending, giving us what we don't deserve. And now because of that, we can be gracious with one another, and guess what? I don't feel like it, but I need to. And now I have the ability to because the Spirit indwelling, so it's not something I can muster up. This is a fruit of the Spirit. And so this is the kind of stuff that Paul's addressing. I don't want us, though, as as much as we can look at the church in Corinth and say, okay, this was a dark group of misfits. We can get the wrong impression. So I want us to be reminded how Paul opens this letter. If you will flip back just a couple pages to 1 Corinthians 1. Even though he's dealing with all these different issues, all these different problems, he's helping them, you know, live a certain way Listen to how he opens this letter, because this kind of sets the tone for everything. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into, this, into the fellowship of his Son, 
Jesus Christ our Lord. So just hitting some of the highlights here, did you hear how Paul addresses this church, this church that we would maybe identify as the black sheep of the family? He addresses this family of pirates with some really cool things. He calls them the church of God in verse 2. He views them as sanctified. That's positional stuff. That's past tense. That also affects their present and will affect their future. He calls them sanctified in Christ Jesus, and he calls them saints. He makes them equal with every other gathering, every other local fellowship. He makes them just like the church in Philippi, just like the church in Thessalonica, just like the church in Cedar Rapids. He blesses them with grace and peace. He tells them why he's thankful for them. That's an amazing thing. You know, it's one thing to, to hear um, something positive or something encouraging, but to hear, you know, why someone's thankful for you, and Paul unpacks that for them. He shares that God has enriched them by his grace and his mercy in every way, and they're not lacking in any gift. Everything that they need, regardless of the size of the church family that was at Corinth, they had everything that they needed to live and function like a church. That's encouraging to me. So whatever you need to function like a church here, God has richly supplied that, regardless of size, regardless of what you look around and you say, well, we have this hole to fill and we don't do this. And, you know, what do we often do? Compare ourselves with other churches in the area kind of a thing. And Paul's encouraging the church in Corinth, you got everything that you need. You're not lacking any spiritual gift. You have everything you need in Christ. And as you await for Christ's return, Jesus will not only sustain you, but he, will, he views you as guiltless and he will present you that way before the Father. That's what he's doing with the church in Corinth. And we know how dark it is at Corinth. And that same admonition applies here in Cedar Rapids or the church that I have the privilege of shepherding in Waukesha. And this is what God's doing globally. And so now we get back to our text. I wanted to remind us kind of who this group of people is. And now he's going to move into the main instruction part of this chapter. So most of this chapter 12 is illustration. Right now he's going to give you the instruction. That's verses 4 through 11. So he's going to introduce, here's the main teaching of this section. Here's God's plan for this thing. Here's how it's empowered and then here's the purpose for this. This is what's going on in verses 4 through 11. I'm going to read it in just a second. And then he's going to go and illustrate what he just gets done teaching. So picking up in verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues or languages, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually 
as he wills. So the teaching, the educating, the instructing in this section is helping them learn how to live in this new position, this new identity, their new life in the spirit. Here's how you live as the church. And remember, this is just one of many different things that he's addressing. And so in verses four through six and in verses eight through 10, there's a lot of things worth noting, and we're just going to note them briefly. But one of the things that stands out, and it's repeated over and over, is the repetition of this idea of variety. There is a ton of variety within the local church. There's a variety in gifts, in service, and activity. That's what the text says. What the text doesn't say, which is also equally true, there's a variety of personalities, a variety of backgrounds, a variety of opinions, a variety of preferences. That abounds as well. And so as much as there's this stuff going on, there's a ton of diversity within the local church. The church is not lacking for diversity at all. But with this variety comes the challenge of being unified amidst that diversity. How do we care for one another when we have differing opinions, when our upbringing was different, when our, our backstory is different? We all have a, an idea of here's what should happen, what happens when those clash with someone else's. And so the goal here is to be unified amidst the diversity rather than divided. And Paul is addressing the divisions that were taking place all throughout this letter. And every church has to deal with this. No church is exempt. Every church struggles with this in different ways and goes through seasons of doing it well and there's seasons of probably doing it poorly or struggling a little bit. The variety of gifts, service, and activities that's on display in this text, especially in verse 4, and then it, it accents some of those, right? It highlights some. The list that takes place here in verses 4 through 6 and in verses 8 through 10 are meant to be representative, not exhaustive. This isn't the only place that there's lists of the, of the Spirit, you know, gifts that are taking place, right? We could turn to Romans chapter 12, Ephesians 4, there's a couple other places, but there's about a handful of different lists, and no two lists in Scripture are completely identical. Those are meant to be representative not exhaustive. We're not limiting the Holy Spirit by saying, well, you have to have one of these gifts. No, no, no. The Spirit can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants, and however He wants. We're not going to limit Him by this, but this gives us an idea, something tangible that we can wrap our mind around. But you might look at the, this list and go, I can't identify with any of this stuff. That doesn't mean you're lacking in any way. The Spirit's just equipped you differently. So you don't have to go and hunt. The goal of this is not to try to find where you're at on this list or in some other list in the scriptures. Be encouraged that you have been given a gift or multiple gifts. Those gifts are not fixed or locked, but they're meant to serve the body that you're part of. And so within this variety and diversity within the church, what does it all have in common? What holds this all together? What allows a gathering of People of all different backgrounds, personalities, temperaments, stories, to be able to come together and function as a family. How does that work? Different, diverse, but unified. Only God could do this. I would have written the script differently. I would have never written the church into the story. Why? Because the church is a mess. 
I'll speak for my church because I don't know you, but the church in Corinth was a mess, <laughs> had issues. The church that I'm part of is a mess, and part of the problem is I'm part of it. Just because I have the privilege of pastoring them doesn't mean I'm any different than the people I'm pastoring. I bleed red, I breathe air. I have the same issues, I have the same struggles. I'm no different. And yet in all this, you know, difference, how does this thing hold together? Well, it's not some formula. There's not some secret sauce or some magic key that you haven't found yet, right? It's who holds this all together. And verses 4, 5, and 6 tell us it's the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God overseeing this entire plan. God's got this. This is his plan, not ours. He's the one that's designed the church, and he put all the pieces together to function how he wants them to. We might be left scratching our heads. We walk away from a Sunday or from a, you know, a, an annual business meeting or you know, whatever the case is, and we're going, I don't know. And God's going, I got this. The Spirit is at work, and He is present. And that's what leads us into, just because His plan takes a bunch of diverse people and He equips them with gifts and says, now you get to function as a family and you carry the gospel light within this community, and you're meant to love one another and care for one another and do life together as a family of families, but you don't do that in your own strength and power. Look at verses 6 and 11. Verse 6, And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. The same God who is at work in you is in that... He's at work in the person sitting next to you and behind you and in front of you. God is at work in your midst. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You might not like what he wills, but he's equipped you, he's strengthened you, he's empowering you to be you in this fellowship. You don't have to be anyone else. You bring value to this family. So the triune God is not only the constant within the church, but he's empowering every gift, every service, every activity in each one of you. This is what God's doing. The same spirit, the same Lord, the same God. All these are empowered by the same spirit. So the spirit is actively empowering, filling, working, enabling, causing you to live like the church. That should be encouraging. I don't have to depend on how I feel. Because guess what? What I know to be true and how I feel rarely match up. My feelings are responders and they're always lagging behind. And so what do I have to do? Remind myself the truth. Who am I in Christ? Going back to the gospel. Resting in the reality of who I am and who we are then corporately. So this is what God's doing. He's empowering this, and you will bear fruit. You are bearing fruit. And guess what? Galatians 5 tells us it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not stuff that you and I manufacture. That's plastic fruit we can buy at Hobby Lobby. But the fruit the Spirit's doing, that stuff's real. And guess what? We don't always see it. It's not always tangible. It's not a formula we can work. He is at work. 
doing some really cool things, whether we can see it or not. And he's doing that within this fellowship. And so you are equipped and empowered by the Spirit to play a vital role within this fellowship, this family, this body. What's the purpose? Why are you here? Why has he equipped you? Why has he gifted you? Why has he called you to be a family of families? We'll look at verse 7. The purpose of the Holy Spirit's gifting and equipping for each individual is found in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So as part of this family of families, the church, you're unique, you're valuable, you're necessary, you play a vital role in the overall health and benefit of this body. Whether you believe it or not, whether you feel it or not, whether you see it or not, you do. Your personality, wherever you're at on this journey, you're like, man, I just came to faith last week. Awesome. Maybe you've been a believer for for 50 years. Awesome. Wherever you're at on this journey, and that comes with your, your, you know, where you've been, you know, what your story is, how you've grown up, so it's made up of your past experiences, combined with your present level of knowledge, and that's where you're at on this journey. Your particular strengths and weaknesses, your passions, your giftings, all of this converges to bring value and benefit to the body. You individually bring value and worth to this family. Again, whether you see it or not, feel it or not, or believe it or not, because there's a lot of times we can have self-doubt. A lot of times we can go, I don't know. We want to hang it up. Things don't go our way, or someone hurts us with, you know, words or actions, and it's like, I don't know, and when we start believing lies, but you bring value to this fellowship. And the Spirit is empowering that work in you for the common good. One of the challenges that we have that faces every church is the culture in which we live and then our human default. Because the culture in which we live is, it's all about the individual. I'm the most important person in this room right now. I'm the most selfish person in this room right now and it's all about me. I want it my way. And that's not only the culture in which I've grown up in, in America, it is also my human default. And so we value the individual above the whole. When we come to the text of scripture, what does this say to me? What does it mean to me? How does it apply to me? Church has to be all about me. We wanna have it our way, right? We want the drop down menu that has, here's all the different programs, you know, the sermon has to be, you know, one part funny where the, the guy has to be the stand-up comedian, but he also has to be theologically rich and sound. And so we need to be entertained by this, but it also has to meet every one of my personal and felt needs, regardless of whether the text says it or not. And then the music has to be a certain way that matches, you know, my style and preference, right? And the kids' ministry has to look a certain way. And so we really can tailor church the way we want it. And if we don't find what we want at this place, then we'll find it in, you know, our brand somewhere else, right? That's what we have to deal with. That's America. You transport this group of people over to Afghanistan or Somalia, guess what? Church is going to look and feel completely different, and we are just going to be thankful that we're with other brothers and sisters and people aren't trying to kill us. 
And so, but we have to play the hand we're dealt, right? We have to live in the context in which we are. We have to care for one another um, where we're at. But this is just one of the challenges that we face. So as much as you bring value to this fellowship, we are facing some challenges that the focus is inward when we show up on a weekly basis. Rather than how has the Spirit equipped, empowered me for the benefit of the whole, what ends up happening is how are my needs being met my way for my glory? That's subtle in us. It's unintentional a lot of times. We just show up and it comes out naturally and the gospel checks it. On a weekly basis, we sit under the teaching and preaching. We come together for fellowship and prayer and to worship God and everything else that's been gnawing at us is checked in this moment. We need these times to catch our breath, to be refreshed as a fellowship, to be reminded that we're not alone in this. We're together for the gospel. This is a family. And like it or not, I get to be part of this family, right? You're part of my extended family. We're brothers and sisters. Apart from me showing up this morning, we probably wouldn't meet until eternity and start getting to know each other. But I've got the privilege of meeting you in advance, this side of eternity. Well, that's the main bulk teaching within this text. Verses 12 through 31 now, Paul's going to do something and he's going to illustrate the text. So the Spirit equips each part for the benefit of the whole. And while each part plays a vital role within the body and brings value to the entire body, the focus is on the unified body. That's what's going on in this passage. So the Spirit's work, His gifting, His empowering, His enabling, is working in us and through us to those around us, and it's for the good, the benefit, the health of the whole. So now we're going to look at how Paul visualizes this. He's going to illustrate it in verses 12 and 13. Great teachers, and I'm not identifying as one, but great teachers are Jedi masters of the illustration. The Apostle Paul wields the visual like a lightsaber, So with the stroke of a pen, he introduces an illustration that not only resonated with the church in Corinth, but guess what? It meets the church in Cedar Rapids right where you're at. Look at verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, doesn't matter. And all were made to drink of one spirit. And so Paul lays out this illustration that helps bring greater clarity to what he's just been teaching, what he's just been unpacking, and how he's teaching them about spiritual gifts, and now he's going to illustrate it in that very clear, simple illustration that we can all resonate with is that the church is a body. In verses 14 through 16, or verses 14 through 26 are going to talk about two different groups within the body. Here's two different ways of responding negatively to the teaching, to the instruction. So the visual of the church as a body, that could be a sermon series all its own, right? Weeks or months unpacking this. But this is a standalone sermon, and so instead of going into every nuance that we possibly could, 
I'm just going to triage the text rather than looking at every ache and ailment. So Paul's desire here for the church body is really similar to what we want for our own body, right? At every stage and season of life, what do we want for our body? We want to be healthy, fit, active, rested, refreshed. Why? So we can tackle life and we can do this thing, right? Part of why you're hearing from me this morning is because illness impacts our body. We're no strangers to this, right? We're all rusting out. You know, the older I get, the more aches and pains happen. My body doesn't catch up with where my mind is. I still think I can do the things that I did when I was younger, and sadly, I can't, and it's challenging. It's painful. Losing different freedoms and functions and different stuff, and, you know, while I still have a ways to go, I can see the trajectory. But we all want to be fit, active, healthy. We don't want to neglect any part of our body, right? And so that's what Paul's doing here. No one enjoys being ill. No one checks into the hospital thinking it's a hotel, right? We don't do that. That's the place you go not to get sleep. But what part of your body do you want to break down? Do you want to malfunction? What part of your body do you want to be ill or not work properly? I'd already told you when I was introducing my family My son was born without a diaphragm. We would have never written the script that way. We wouldn't have chosen that. It's been a long, painful journey. He's on diaphragm number four right now. He still eats by a feeding tube, and he's 14, almost 15. On top of it, there's autism, spinal challenges. There's just tons of different things, right? The body is amazing. The way that God has designed this thing becomes a teaching tool throughout life. We need every part functioning properly and accurately and to be healthy for the whole body to be feeling healthy and active and being able to take on life, right? What part of your body do you want to live without? Now, I know practically we can. We can live, I mean, I don't know what the appendix does, but apparently it can be removed and we can function just fine, right? We can live without digits. We can have different parts of of us dealt with. It's not ideal, but it's stuff we have to live with. But if we had to pick and choose, what are we picking and choosing? What part of our body would we want, now this is a very weird analogy, but what part of our body would we want to say, you know what, I've done this thing for a while. I don't want to play that part anymore. I don't want those responsibilities. I want to do that instead. So think of it. The hand is like, I am tired of being the hand. I want to be the tongue. Let's switch roles. And the tongue's like, yeah, I agree. Let's do this thing. You know, I'm tired of being kept behind the teeth. And the the mouth's a nasty thing. You know, full of germs and whatever. The hand's like, it's not much better out here. And so we flip-flop roles. How's that going to go? Think of your tongue trying to grab something. I liken it to those little um, sticky gummy things that you get when you're a kid and you put a quarter in the machine and the thing comes out and you're like, all it gets is hair and dirt and dust, right? It's just nasty. And after five seconds, you throw it away. But if every part decided, hey, I don't like my role, I don't like my responsibilities, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. Guess what? I'm really thankful for how God put this thing together 
and the role and functions. I mean, we have tons of different systems at work simultaneously, and most of it we don't see or think about. I don't have to consciously think, take a breath. Respiratory system's taken over. I don't have to consciously think about, okay, now digest this food, digest this food, digest... No, it just happens, right? I'm thankful for my muscular system and my skeletal system and my respiratory and circulatory and nervous... Like, all these systems are working together. And when each part is doing its part, the body functions and it's healthy and it's things that we don't have to think about. And most of it goes unseen, unnoticed. And for that, I'm thankful because most of that's on the inside, right? I don't want that to be seen. I don't want that to be noticed. I just want it to be functioning the way it is. Guess what? That's what Paul's illustrating here in this passage. For the body to be healthy and function like a body, guess what? You're not going to see most of what God's doing within this fellowship. It's not going to be as tangible as you'd like it to be. A lot of that stuff's happening internally on the inside, and it's for the health of the body. So listen to a couple different responses to this. Because, you know, this sounds absurd, right? This sounds like a really silly illustration. But we want every part operating the way it's intended to. Every part plays a vital part and is a valued part of the whole. Now listen to verses 14 through 20 and see where the focus is. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, would that not make it any less part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So in verses 14 through 20, we're reminded that you are a valued part of the body. But it's not about you. You do bring value. But it's not about you. It's about the whole. So it sounds absurd in this illustration that Paul's making for any part of our body to pout or get frustrated that they're not another part of the body. It's like silly here. But then he's like, it's us. We act like that. We do this thing. No matter what your gifting is, no matter what your temperament is, no matter how you're connected to this body, you play a vital role here, but it's not about you, you might get frustrated, feel like you're less or not important, or because you don't have those strengths, giftings, and abilities of someone else, that you're less. That's not true. Paul says you play a vital role here. You're a valued part of this fellowship. It's just not about you. What happens if everyone brings the same gifts, ability, service? What if everyone plays the same part, role, in activity, what happens? We don't have a body, we have a bunch of parts who are all vying for their opportunity to do this. Guess what, I can't play the, the piano at all. I can't even sing. I mean, I can sing, it's just painful to the ears. So, um, and I've been reminded of that on a regular basis. I can play the radio and I, you know, I sing in the shower and sometimes in the vehicle, but I can't do this. 
What Scott does, I would love to do. But I'm thankful he can do it. You know, and that's just one example of many. You know, you might, like, I would love to. At this point, that ship sailed. I need to focus on my strengths and how God has equipped me to care for my fellowship. And that's the same for you. You might want to do, be, what, you know, whatever, but just because you're not doesn't make you less. You bring value to this fellowship. So the point's really straightforward. You are a valued part of the body, each one of you, but it's not about you. The next section is another poor response. Look at verses 21 through 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So not only are you valued, but the people that you do life and community as a church together are valued as well. We need each other. So others bring value to this body, and we need them. Almost everyone has some kind of issue or frustration with their body, right? I mean, if we're all honest, which we're not going to take the time to do that, but I can find a ton of faults and flaws with this. I just can. I wish things were different. Now, I make some of the choices that contribute to the, the malfunctions and the things that I wish were different, right? I can say no to some of that stuff. I just have a hard time. You know, they keep telling me I can't outrun the fork, but I just like food too much. And so there's just, there's some things though, we could all, we all look in the mirror and we're going, oh, I wish that was different. I wish I looked like this, or I wish, you know, that's just crazy. We would, we would all, you know, fill in the blank with that. But what part of our body would we really say we can live without? As much as I don't like certain, like if we isolate and focus on that one part of the body that we don't like, do we really want to live without that? We need this whole thing, and we need it to be functioning healthy and whole. And that's what we need here. We need each other, regardless of how, and I don't, I mean, obviously, I don't know you, I've just met you. Regardless of how you view one another, you need each other. You individually bring value, but corporately, you bring value to the whole. And so, again, the point's simple. Regardless of how you feel about certain aspects or functions or parts of the body, every part brings whole and is necessary for the overall health of the whole. We need each other on a weekly basis and throughout the week. And so now we get to that part where we wrap things up and Paul talks about the life, the vitality of the body in verses 27 through 31. The beauty of the body is not the isolation of the parts but in the health of the whole. Verse 27, And now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. 
And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And the answer is no. We need the whole. So the beauty of the body is not in the isolation of the parts, but it's in the overall health of the whole body. So the application of this text is not go and identify what your spiritual gifts are. That's not the point of this. The application is not figure out which part of the body you most identify with. All right, my junior high mind would run with that, but that's not the point of this. Like, where do I, you know, fit? Now, we all need to figure out our roles and responsibilities and purpose, but that purpose is for the common good. That goes back to verse 7. And so the life, health, and function of the body is found in the spirit indwelling each individual for the benefit of the whole. And you bring value to the whole. You, we, together, care for one another, and you replicate who you are. You have impact on this community So considering 1 Corinthians 12, here's where we've been and here's what God's done in the church in Corinth and what he's doing in the church here in Northbrook in Cedar Rapids. He's given each individual the spirit for the common good. He apportions and empowers each individually as he wills. He arranges the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. He's composed the body and has appointed in the church all the parts to function in unity for the common good. And somehow, he gets glory for all of this. That's pretty amazing. This is what you're doing here. Whether you realize it or not, whether you believe it or not, this is what God is doing. He's at work in your midst doing some really cool things. And then Paul concludes this section in verse 31. As much as he highlights and focuses on the body, he's addressing the questions that were asked. He says in verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you still a more excellent way. And because we care about context, that more excellent way brings us right into chapter 13 and he's going to show us that that way is love. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of what your role and responsibilities are, regardless of how you identify within this fellowship, whether you feel like, I don't have that person's gifts, and so I'm not part of the body. Whether you feel like, hey, I've got it all together, we don't need you. Paul says there's still a more excellent way, and that way is to love one another within this family. So that's what's going on corporately here. At the end of the day, who cares what gifts, strengths, and abilities you have if you don't have love? Who cares if you show up and you can, you know, have a killer ministry, but you don't have love? Who cares what part of the the body and and the role you play and the functions that you have if love's not dominating that thing and we don't care for one another? It's all a bunch of show and it's all a waste. But God's at work And he proves it through this text, and it's on display here. We just need to have eyes to see it and respond that way towards one another as we continue to live like a body. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the text. Thank you that it is 
potent enough to reach from the first century all the way to the 21st century. Thank you for the issues that were taking place in Corinth. And it's because occasional documents like that and problems that the early church has that we can learn how to deal with the very same problems and struggles that we have, learning to live out this new identity and position that we have in Christ. Thank you for this church family at Cedar Rapids. Thank you for the family that they are. Thank you for placing each one of them as part of this fellowship to care for one another, to love one another, to use their gifts, strengths, and abilities for the common good. Thank you for loving us so much that you would send your one and only son because none of us deserve it. Thank you that I have the privilege to come and meet my brothers and sisters here and I just pray that you would continue to care for them through your spirit, through your word, as they live out and function as a body. Help them to be healthy and to care for one another. In Christ's name, amen.